Really don't mind if you sit this one out. My words but a whisper. Hello and welcome to Prog Notes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Thick as a Brick by Jethro Tull. If you have never listened to our show, what our goal here is to educate and hopefully inspire our listeners to uncover and learn about this subgenre by listening and talking about albums from the Progressive Rock Archives that you may have never heard of or want to learn more about. Uh, Drew and I have a massive passion for Progressive Rock and we love to share it with others. And of course, for everyone who has been listening to all of our episodes, we first want to say thank you. And if you could please subscribe to our podcast, that would be excellent. So you can always be notified when we launch a new episode. So, Thick as a Brick, Drew, was released March 10th of 1972. It's the fifth album, fifth studio album by Jethro Tull. And Jethro Tull is a British rock band from Blackpool, Lancashire. Oh, what a surprise. Another English progressive rock band. (laughs) Yeah. We haven't had many of those. No, none. Not a whole lot, right? (laughs) Black, I I don't know how to pronounce this correctly, but I think it's Blackpool, Lancashire, or Lancashire. Is that, is that right? Lancashire? Lancashire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, Jethro Tull is led by the Scottish, music, Scottish musician Ian Anderson. And uh, similar to Yes, uh, they uh, experience a lot of revolving door of members. Uh, so for this record specifically, the members start with Ian Anderson, of course, who is our primarily primary vocalist as well as acoustic guitar and these are uh, on the sleeve of the album what these people have been credited with so uh ian anderson with vocals acoustic guitar flute violin trumpet and saxophone which is uh, a that's a lot that's a that's a plethora of instruments there uh we have <laughs> mr martin barr who on electric guitar and lute we have mr john evan on piano organ harpsichord jeffrey hammond or I think he's normally referred to as Jeffrey Hammond Hammond on bass guitar as well as spoken word throughout the album. Barry Moore Barlow on drums and percussion, and David Palmer is credited for string and bass arrangements. So Jethro Tull is, this is going to be an interesting episode because for Drew and I, uh, we aren't, I guess you say, uh, avid Jethro Tull fans. Is that right, Drew? No, yeah, this was new. This was new yeah. for us. And it's not not that we uh, don't like Jethro Tull. It's just I, I guess we just never really uh, stepped foot into the realm of Jethro Tull. As, I uh, had heard like Aqualung on like Guitar Hero, <laughs> right? Growing up, and it yeah. didn't. It just didn't grab me. And maybe it was just yeah. the environment that I was in uh, as a part of the reason. But yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So we're we're learning as well as. Uh, finding all this information as well as and also this is the first time we both ever listened to thick as a brick as well so this is going to be an interesting i believe this um, is you're going to hear our first impressions yeah absolutely it's the first impressions of this is going to be interesting uh because i don't know what drew thinks of this album really at all so oh, yeah we, we didn't even talk about it beforehand yeah <laughs> this will be some good conversation so um so jethro toll initially started as a blues rock band um, going through multiple musicians and band names before the name Jethro Tull came about. Um, Jethro Tull stuck because the manager at the club they played at invited them back for the first time. I thought that was pretty funny. Huh. Yeah. Um, and the name is based off an 18th century British agriculturist. 
um, and he yeah. invented yeah he invented a seed drill which planted seeds in rows. So, which you know, helped with modern, you know, uh, agriculture. So yeah, which which helped with music clearly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's something else. But uh, but I mean, hey, cool name though, you know. Um, it was one of those. It was one of those things where I thought it was a it was a guy like a band member's name. Like I thought it was like the lead singer's name or something like that. Right. Uh, but it, it's you know it's kind of like Pink Floyd or something like that where you think think the name is part of the band, but it's really not. I guess. Oh yeah. So um, so thick as a brick reached number one in the U.S. and number five in the U.K. in 1972. And Aqualung, which is their album that was previously released, was in 1971 and had some interesting critical reception. Right, Drew? Yeah. I think Aqualung was pretty big. I think when lots of people think of Jethro Tull, at least when I've heard of Jethro Tull, the biggest thing they flock to is Aqualung. Oh, you, heard, you have you heard Aqualung? Like, that's like the Jethro Tull album. This yeah. one, though... We were debating this episode whether to do that one or not, because that's kind of the landmark one for them, I think. That's true. But I, I think so, yeah. But I, I was doing some just very brief research on both of these, and I think Thick as a Brick has a very interesting story behind it. So to, to answer what you were saying, Destin, about its, its critical reception, lots of people slap the label of concept album on Aqualung. And yeah. Jethro Tull was definitely a progressive rock band, whether they considered themselves that or not. They they incorporated a variety of elements that most people would, you know, attribute to progressive rock. And Aqualung was to many people a concept album because I believe that it had um, a couple of songs that were very similar in theme. I think it was actually in a religious sense. There were some religious, you know themes being brought up in a variety of, of the songs or in multiple songs right. on that record. And so they were like, okay, this is the concept of it, right? This is all supposed to be one kind of unified theme. And Ian Anderson, who was, for all intents and purposes, was <laughs> basically the brain behind the group. I mean, you know, he played a variety of the instruments. He also had a lot of the conceptual ideas. He wrote most of the lyrics. I mean, when you look at, you know, the composition on, on the jacket sleeve and everything, a lot of times it'll say Ian Anderson, not just Jethro Tull. So, right. but he denied. He was like, Aqualung is not a concept album. Yes, those have similar themes, but that's more coincidental. I didn't have this idea in mind of making this a concept album. Um, and so it's really interesting. His response to that was thick as a brick, which is purposefully a concept album. And he said, yeah. okay, they think... They don't, they don't know what concept album is yet. Let me show them concept album. <laughs> yep. And he did it as a joke. This is where it gets interesting. And Destin, I'd love for you to weigh in on this. From what I've read, he there's a lot of quotes from him. Uh, he's a very quotable guy. Uh, he is. It's just he really, is. really interesting. A lot of his answers and his perception on concept albums and, in general, progressive rock are very interesting. And we'll go over those later. Yeah. But specifically with this album... His intention was to make, quote, unquote, the mother of all concept albums. Yeah. This was supposed to be one long, continuous piece, and it would have been if technology, you know, didn't stop them from doing side one to side two, because there has right. to be a break for that. This is a not, I mean, this is also kind of drifts into my first impressions of it. This is a nonstop roller coaster of music. There's, it is. It's, it's, Lots of high energy, lots of jam sessions, and it just super quickly goes into a completely different section. 
And then it goes back to a section that's already been there before, very thematic and reintroducing, you know, themes and stuff and, and musical concepts and riffs and melodies, which is also indicative of a lot of concept albums, right? It's like a story that you go back to, right? And you're exactly. recalling everything. It takes you on a journey. That was one of the first things I wrote when I was reviewing just the music of this record is, you know, at the very end, it goes back to the beginning and throughout it goes back to, to pieces that you've heard before. So it takes you on a journey and at the very end, it gives you a sense of completion and a sense of finality. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty brilliant. I, I, I'll just say right off the bat, my first impressions, I definitely enjoyed this record a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but the music was also just a part of the, I guess, ambitious concept the band put together. I mean, almost of equal importance, though, I believe, was the cover. And I, and I don't know if you really like yes. looked at the cover, but it, which, which was in effect a 16-page mm -hmm. newspaper called, and this is hilarious to me, and I wrote this down so I make sure I remember this. It's called the St. Cleave Chronicle and Linwall Advertiser, mm -hmm. which was a spoof of the sort of local newspapers prevalent around the UK at the time. And so Ian Anderson has stated that the American fans did not understand the humor. That's spelled H-U-M-O-U-R, by the way, on their tours. And I'll be honest, I don't understand some of the lyrical content on the record myself so it's definitely true you know like yeah it's, I, I think it's a little over the head sometimes but it's when, when thinking when listening to it and thinking that it's supposed to be purposefully almost like ian anderson's almost like mocking not really mocking but like kind of poking fun at progressive rock a little bit yeah no he definitely he definitely was um that's i think in particular concept albums and everything but yes progressive rock absolutely he was mocking um i've got like some quotes from him that are, are pretty pretty interesting yeah um but yeah i think what he was trying to do was spoof the concept album like you said without mocking without saying i'm mocking well, this because not, it has no value it's not like right? he I feel like that's, it he's not it's yeah it's not like he dislikes it yeah it was it was one of these things where it's like oh, okay like you want a progressive rock album, I want to make you a progressive rock album. Right. Kind of he said, or, or, he said, yeah. Anderson, right. Anderson said, Monty Python lampooned, lamp, sorry, lampooned the British way of life. Yeah. Yet did it in such a way that made us all laugh while celebrating it. To me, that's what we did as a band on Thick as a Brick. We were spoofing the idea of the concept album, but in a fun way that didn't totally mock it, which is really interesting because I have, I don't know, I just have this preconceived notion that you know if you mock something that means you dislike it that it right you think it doesn't have that much value yeah um but that's not the way it was with him uh you know he sees a lot of parody as as uh you know can also celebrate it while also kind of poking fun at the same time um, right right so yeah yeah i mean I it's, it's, it's kind of like i don't know to me that kind of reminds me of something like snl or something like that like it's it's kind of satirical right. But it's right, not. Yes. It's not in a hate way. It's not. It's not out of spite Correct. or hatred. It's more of Correct. just kind of this. Oh, we're just going to play with this and and have fun with it. And I think that's what they really did with this record. Like they just kind of had fun with yes the idea absolutely. of oh yeah let's let's do like the freaking mother of all concept albums. Like let's, well, we're going to purposefully know, write something that's an entire forty minute long piece. Right, music. and not just not just as a concept of like yes, making it a forty minute piece and making it all like a story, right? Because right. he wrote this with also very interesting to note the 
person who wrote the lyrics was a fictional character right that he had created called Gerald Bostock an 8-year-old schoolboy yep writing these lyrics and i think a lot of people from what i read a lot of people thought this was an actual person or at the very least yeah that he based this this character that he made off of an actual person right yes and a lot of people i think don't believe him when he says no it's just some kid i made up it's not based off of someone i knew when i was in school it's not based off my brother like a family member or a friend of mine no this was pure creation like i i don't know anyone like this i just like decided to create this character and i think to this day a lot of people are like mm, i don't know if i believe that you right. probably took inspiration from someone you knew because this is way too specific and this kind of mentality so it's very interesting but yeah um not just not just the 40 minute piece and, and everything but the music itself almost seems like a joke in the sense not that it's not good but that it's overly prog. it's overly prog there, yeah it's overly prog. There's a lot of stuff where it's like, okay, there's no need for that to be in that time signature here. There's no need for... But you know what? It still works. That's what's so funny about yeah. it. That's what's really funny about like, it is still, that I can tell you're like... cool moments in the music. Yeah, you're trying to be overly ambitious. Like, I can feel the effort in there, but I can tell that it's a joke. And maybe that's... Maybe I just literally have that view because I, I read some backstory while listening to it. This, you know... Yeah. Like with knowing the intention behind it yeah. was a joke. And so maybe that's why I was listening to the music almost in a playful way, being like, oh, I can tell they were having fun. Yeah, with not this. taking like, it too seriously. It, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. I think, which is, yeah, I think what he wanted to do and kind of shed light on progressive rock in general as that. Yeah. He was like, look, I think a lot of bands have gotten too serious with this stuff mm -hmm. and we're just gonna play around with this i think there's, really I think there's something that i actually saw uh reading about him is that he he was talking about elp and how he thought they were yes really like taking it to the extreme like these guys were just correct like, way overdone you know and right. it's interesting i think i think that um I don't know, Ian. And I mean, obviously, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of interviews. I don't know anything about him as a person or anything. But he seems like the kind of guy who is, you know, he's not attached to the music. Or no, let me let me put it this way: he's not attached to the art, but he's he's attached to the music. If, if you know what I mean. Um, he's explain. he's more. It's it's not about like the the artistry of this is like you don't need to be so serious about this. Like we're we're just writing music. We're writing something that we want other people to enjoy. It can do whatever it really wants to do, you know, but the music itself, obviously we want to write something that's good musically, but like the whole, like it needs to be this and we need to have the, you know, we need to have a 10 minute song or we need to have uh, this because it'll make it more prog or we need to have the, like the artistry of creating a prog album or creating an, a concept album was like, I don't really care about that. I think that's kind of what they were. I mean, that's. I think they really went into it with more of a free state of mind in that in, in that sense, rather than saying that we're gonna okay, we're gonna sit down, and we're gonna write a 26 minute long epic where it's gonna have a story, it's gonna have a character, we're gonna use sound effect. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't. It didn't right. seem like it was that kind of thing. Right. Exactly. Okay. I kind of see that. Well, I see him actually having some it, it, an intention behind it. Of like, course. Like you know, it wasn't just. Well, it's funny. I, I listened to an interview Dustin and I both did about the, um, you know, their thoughts on it. Some of them had that exact perception of there was really no form or function to this. We just kind of created the music. Right. 
which I'm sure is right. And then Anderson kind of contradicts that. And he's like, no, I knew going in that I wanted to make the mother of all concept albums. Like yeah. I knew there was an intention behind this. This wasn't just a spur of the moment. I had the idea to do this as a joke to have fun with it so that it's not so serious. It's a parody. It's a satire, like you said. So um, really interesting. I'm glad we picked this this record. I've never I've and it, it brings up a lot of good questions for our show in general about progressive rock and how people see it. Yeah. Um, I, this is uh, purely, yeah, it's, it's, I'm really glad we chose this, this yeah. record because Anderson's view on progressive rock is really interesting because growing up, it, it did seem to me a bit more artistic and I can understand where people, especially when we were in high school would be like, these guys are dicks. Like, chill out with your prog rockness you know it's not the greatest thing ever don't show off your musical ambition too much don't do this and um you know i've growing up i i've kind of realized that a bit more but this is just a kind of slap in the oh, face yeah, it's, that it's Andrew, just... anderson is just giving you just being like look it is cool progressive rock is fun and it is awesome but it's, don't don't get stuck up your own butt about it right like don't think it's the greatest thing in the world that you're the greatest musician just because you're experimenting with some sounds because you know, so it's great, yeah. and and I think that's something to keep in mind when you listen to any progressive rock is that it's it's really cool, um, and something for me to to keep in mind too that you know there's a lot of different stuff out there, and prog rock is not the center of the universe. Right. <laughs> Though I think a lot of people who know me would be like, well, you don't act like that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's interesting. Anyways, it's a yeah. This this record I think was a good choice because the the his the history behind the album really goes I, I guess well it's more intentionally uh i guess what, what's the word i'm trying to think of here it's um uh, intentionally different so to speak and, and it's funny because because the, yes. most of the other albums that we've been listening to they weren't really trying to to be progressive rock. like you know what i mean like it, it it's not like it's not like progressive rock all of a sudden came out like somebody just said, "Hey, here's an here's a genre called progressive rock," and then everybody started writing progressive rock albums. Like that wasn't really the thing. It was more of like right. this, like people just started experimenting. Normally, starting with the Beatles, you know, right? Or you know, arguably starting with the Beatles, but then right. Though again, we had said with Court of the Crimson King, a lot of people consider that the first progressive yes, rock yeah, album. Yeah, exactly. And and they were very intentional with with what they they, they, were. they were very intentional so but but there's not a whole lot of other bands that are out there that are intentionally that were intentionally in the 70s now there's all kinds of people intentionally trying to write prog rock but in the 70s i, I think there were there wasn't a whole lot of bands i think intentionally trying to 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 write progressive rock music like they, i they i don't yeah. know i i have to i have to maybe disagree there uh, it i think it depends um I have a feeling that Yes was very intentional, that King Crimson was intentional, and Yes saw them and was like, look, let's elevate our game to that. Let's make yeah. progressive rock. Whether they called it that or not, they, I think that's it was just what it relating was. to King Crimson. Like, they so they, they had like the King intention. Crimson. They had the intention of doing that. And I've heard an interview with Phil Collins where he was like, oh, we didn't intend for that at all. But I've read other articles by other music historians who will say they definitely seemed to be and even ian anderson says it's like genesis definitely had the intention of being different of doing progressive rock so you know and who's to say who's right whether phil collins is right and said look we just made songs and some of them came out prog and some of them didn't you know right i i have to kind of agree with 
Anderson in the sense that they, they seemed to be doing stuff that was clearly in the realm of prog rock. Like, let's make a 20-minute song. Let's make this, you know, or they rather, they didn't mind it being 20 minutes right. uh, yeah. or 10 minutes. And they enjoyed that there was such intense themes to it and characters and their lyrics were very political and tongue in cheek and all of that. Yeah. yeah. And just, and just um, to highlight that for just a second, I mean, if, like the, the structure of how this album is, is laid out is literally thick as a brick part one, which is about 21 minutes <clears throat> or excuse me. I think it's about 22 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, 20, 22 minutes and 40 seconds. And then thick as a brick part two, which is 21 minutes and 10 seconds. So it's, it's literally designed to be one long piece of music. Obviously in 1972, we had to flip the record. So there's, there's two parts, but that's that's what makes this album so different than any other any other record that we've listened to is that this is literally two one it's literally one song it's literally one right. song um that's all completely connected they're not separated i think if you go on i think um in uh what is it the uh like spotify or something like that they'll have them like separated into quote unquote songs but the original layout of the record was part one part two you know, uh, so I right. just wanted to highlight that. I just wanted to call that out for just, to, you know, so everybody knows if right. they haven't seen what the structure of the album is like. It, that's how it's designed. Right. So, but I also love this part because I try to count it every time and it's so weird. Oh, it's weird. really bizarre. Yeah. These hits. Yeah. It's really weird. In, um. st <laughs> in stereo, because obviously we, we can't play stereo music in, in the in our little software here that we're doing this because we obviously are recording it from across the country. But um, if it was in stereo, like it's weird because like it comes on the left side, like the guitar comes on the left side. And then they have this like, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's a really weird section. That's a weird part, dude. That is a weird part. That's, it's really it fun is. though. I, I, like I said, I really enjoyed this record. Like, yeah, there's there's a lot of really cool riffs in there, really fun in there, yeah. and I think I love it even more knowing that it's kind of a yeah. joke. You know, <laughs> it's just it's hilarious to me that he. I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant that he yeah. did that. Um, yeah. By the way, we just but, that uh, is that just finished up part one. Part of, of part one. Break. Yeah, that was that was literally the first section, and so um, well, let's let's talk about. I think we've talked a lot about the uh, just kind the of the backstory, backstory of yeah. this, but let's talk about the concept of this thing. Like, what what is this? So it's it's a it's one long piece, right? It's forty two minutes long or forty five minutes of just nonstop music. What's what's the mm -hmm. uh, what's the concept of this thing? Um, that's a great question. Um, like the actual story is really like he said. Well, obviously, we already mentioned uh, what, Gerald. Bostock. Bostock. We already mentioned yeah, him. It's the boy yeah. writing them. I actually don't really know what the story is that Gerald Bostock is writing here. The the lyrics are are really very clever. Oh, from, they are. You know, from the ones that I've that I've read. Um they're snappy, clever, and he insults different pieces pieces and people of society. Yeah. Um you know, he's he's calling out people in positions of of authority. Yeah. Um for sure. Uh you know, I think Ian Anderson mentioned growing up he was not the conventional 
schoolboy who wanted to get great grades and become a lawyer doctor and be part of what he called conventional society. Okay. You know, um, people who are materialistic and fake and all that stuff. And he kind of calls them out. Gerald Bostock is calling out people who kind of wear these veils all the time and are very materialistic and, and all that stuff. He was the kid who loved sci-fi novels and would go skip lakes at the yeah. pond and all that stuff, which is really interesting because he's clearly a very educated individual. Oh, Ian Anderson? Uh, and a very well-spoken. Very, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you listen to interviews with him, and, and the guy's definitely yeah. got a brain yeah, on he, he, him. Yeah, um, he's got a way. He's def, he, he knows how to but, use words. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think that probably had some of something to do with it with the Gerald Bostock stuff, calling out people in in society. Um, there's definitely a variety of characters singing in, in yeah. this song. Yeah. I don't know who's who. You know, I don't know that they have names. If they do, they're not really said in the, you know, they're not stated in the music, like it's this character yeah. or whatever. Um, but there's definitely a change in tone on the way he sings and just listening to the lyrics. You can tell it's two different people. Yeah. Uh, you know, this section is is maybe Gerald Bostock himself calling out people in the in society. You know, your your sperm's in the gutter, your love's in the sink. It's hilarious though, because um, he's like eight and, years old. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the kid is like eight years old. So maybe it's not Gerald, but but that's what's funny is because like that's what makes it funny to me is whether it's Gerald Bostock himself or him writing as a different character. The fact is, the idea is that an eight year old kid is writing right. these lyrics. So, you know, and he's talking about something like that, like, okay. And well, and some of it is very like snarky and also very poignant, like, and the sandcastle virtues are all swept away in the tidal destruction of the moral melee. It's a pretty genius. Like, yeah. That's an eight year old kid. Like, uh, obviously yeah, it's not, yeah. it's Anderson, but it, just the idea of that yeah. is pretty brilliant. Well, what, I love what's that. interesting is that um, there's, there's, there's a lot of, um, well, I think the, and this is what, this is what I found about the, the concept of this album. Um, and it's it's so I guess in the short run, what I, it's it says that like the song follows Gerald, who sees two career paths, and the first one being a soldier, and the second one being an artist, and he chooses the life as a soldier, just like his father. And so I think what what the music portrays throughout that entire throughout this entire you know concept is that we see we see him assimilate into the society that he once rebelled against, becoming just like his father. And hmm. it's even more interesting is that I actually read all of the text on the cover. Yeah. So oh, did you really? I didn't actually oh, take yeah. the time to dude, do that. So under the headline, this is hilarious, dude. Under the headline, this is this is what I wrote down, kind of describing what's going on in the newspaper. Because it's it's funny. It's it's almost like the newspaper is telling you what the what the the concept of the music is going to be centered around, which I think is absolutely That's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. Um, so under yeah. the headline, it says, it, we learned that an eight-year-old boy genius named Gerald Bostock wrote the lyrics for a poetry competition, but was disqualified on moral grounds by the governing body called the Society for Literary Advancement and Gestation, or SLAG. According to the story, Ian Anderson of the Major Beat Group, Jethro Tull read the poem and wrote 45 minutes of quote-unquote pop music to accompany it. Isn't that hilarious? 
And and then the yeah. newspaper, it also contains ads, recipes, TV listings, a crossword puzzle, and review of the album. And so Jethro Tull wasn't the first to use the newspaper theme for the album art, actually. The Four Seasons 1969 album Genuine Imitation Life Gazette was made to look like a newspaper with lyrics to the songs appearing as stories. It even had a, it even had a comic you know, section, dude. I, I also read that just after Thick as a Brick came out, John Lennon of the Beatles in his solo career released a record that had a very similar theme, but Jethro Tull beat him to the punch. So by the time it came out, people were like, this is kind of like Jethro Tull, <laughs> isn't it? That's and funny. I'm sure John was actually not too pleased about yeah. that. But uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just found that really interesting. Also, I heard from Ian Anderson that he said, from what I remember, this was you know him recollecting years later, the... Album cover took longer than the actual creation of the music. I can imagine <laughs> that. Dude, they wrote, they wrote he, the music he was like, in two we weeks. Spent, yeah, two weeks is when they, they wrote this Or this I think, music. no, 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 sorry, that sorry. Was it. The album took two weeks to record, but was written in less than a month. I think you're right. I think, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's that's what I have Maybe you're right. Down. Maybe yeah. you're right. Unless unless my source um, that I found online is is incorrect. That's, you know, that's what I found. Right. No, I I, th I thought you were right though. I I know the term two weeks came into play, and you're right. Maybe it was the recording studio, but yeah. I, I thought it was also the the writing, um, as well. Yeah. But it was it was very quick. They were they were in there all day every day, um, writing the music. So it's interesting. Um, but yeah, there's it's like Dustin said earlier. It's like a 16 page thing. So when you like bought this album back yeah. then, you wouldn't just get the sleeve and the record. You got like a little insert with a lot of yeah. <laughs> Which I think, uh, yeah. I think, I don't know, I can't think of any other progressive rock albums that did that before Jethro Tull. So I don't know because, because nowadays it's very, very common to get like this box set of progressive rock albums right. that have, you know, like unfinished music as well as commentary yeah. and like a booklet of photos and uh, cover art and stuff like that. Right. It's, it's a very, it's it's more outside of the music in and of itself it's more about the the concept it's more about the this overall theme of what we're what people are creating um which just which completely added to the artistry of of music you know having the the album cover and the inserts you know and now we can put the lyrics on the on the record as well and and all of this stuff so i think i've never never seen a band before them do that which i think is uh, cool. I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, that that was kind of a, that that was a thing that they did, you know. Right. Um, and such. Yeah. Very ambitious too. Very. I mean, that's well, a lot of text. Dude, imagine. That's imagine how much. I mean, now. Or never mind. I'm not really now. But I mean, I can imagine how much that would cost. I mean, if you, dude, a 16-page newspaper that was like included in the music, and you're distributing that, like, that's that's a lot of. That's a lot of production, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah. Um, yeah. But but then then again, it's like you know they had an Aqua Lung. It's a it was a big hit. It was a big album, and so either either Thick as a Brick was going to tank or it was going to soar. You know, what I mean that's usually what just right. that's usually what happens when it when it when you have a really great album that comes out, then the next one's going to suck or it's going to be absolutely incredible, and you're just going to get launched further into into, right. into popularity. And so, but yeah, the concept of this is interesting. But then also in in 2012, Thick as a Brick 2 was released, yeah. which is the sequel. Um, whatever happened to Gerald Moss. Yeah, whatever happened. Yeah. And I, I thought that was interesting, too, because the album presents a 
very various outcomes for the what they say now is the 48 year old Bostock and uh right this is 40 years exactly later. Yeah. exactly and so anderson says the album examines how and this is a quote from him our own lives develop change direction and ultimately conclude through the cha through chance encounters and interventions however tiny and insignificant they might seem at the time like what on earth hmm. so right, wait 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 read that again yep. so anderson says the album examines how our own lives develop, change direction, and ultimately conclude through chance intercounters and interventions, however tiny and insignificant they might seem at the time. Hmm. You know, pretty pretty well thought out. But I have I have yet to listen to Thick as a Brick too. I think I probably will at some point. Um, obviously, he has yeah. a, a new group of musicians playing with him. I actually saw that his current lineup right now are actually pretty young. He's got some people that are in their 30s and 40s playing with him. Because I think Ian Anderson's like 71 right now. Is he the only remaining member of the original lineup? I think so. I think so. Uh, I think the rest of them passed away. Yeah, I think not all. No, I don't think all of them has passed away. I know at least one of them has. The the bass player. Uh, but that would the, the bass player. He wasn't even on this record. I think he played on a a, a later record. Um, but what, from what I know is that most of the guys that he played with were just studio musicians. I don't think a lot of these guys had other big careers. It was kind of like playing on a Steely Dan album, I think. <laughs> you know, right. it's like they're known for playing on Steely Dan records or playing on Steely Dan stuff. But outside of playing with Jethro Tull, they really didn't have a like massive commercially successful career you know because i've never heard of these other guys except for ian anderson um and then when i found out that they had just the you know the whole revolving door of musicians i was like okay yeah this makes sense like you know ex except that ian anderson was kind of the leader of the of the group in a sense you know yeah yeah it seemed that way that he was he kind of was the the biggest creative force behind them um yeah and their success it seemed like um, yeah, so I have a fun fact for you, actually, um, tell, about, hey, about, tell it to me. about this record. Yeah, I'm going to tell it to you. Awesome. Um, Can't wait. Yep. It's unreal. Okay, so Ian Anderson, he picked up the flute because he didn't want to sound like everyone else playing guitar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he actually stopped playing guitar when he heard Eric Clapton. Wait, and really? Yeah, I think. I think if, if, if my, what I found is, is correct. I didn't, obviously I didn't know this, but he picked up the flute two weeks or let's say here, let's say it this way. When Jethro Tull formed, he'd only been playing the flute for two weeks. So I have a quote from Ian Anderson saying that whenever he went out to play a show, it was basically a flute lesson. Wow. Isn't that so crazy? Like, I wonder how that was. I mean, that's not an easy instrument to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to learn as I go. Yeah, I, that's, who knows? You know, it's but a then again, But then it's, again, it's, like this guy's, this guy's. I mean, he plays acoustic guitar, flute, violin, trumpet, and saxophone. So this guy's clearly very well musically versed. So, um, at the time, I don't know what that was, what that was like. But just the fact that he intentionally stopped, intentionally picked up the flute to because he didn't want to sound like everybody else. That's right. interesting to me. That's very. That's. It's it's very it's very smart. It's a smart thing to do, right? Um, because well, it, it reminds me a little bit of Peter Gabriel. It really does. His yes, whole thing does. was flute, vocals, and being the front man. And he was he was also very charismatic. 
and and it looks like Ian Anderson, at least with this, was was pretty charismatic. Maybe not yeah. as much as Gabriel, because Peter Gabriel put on costumes and did some really weird stuff. But well, well, he did it. He did as well. Ian Anderson was was he was actually uh, he was into theatrics. He was in the theater. Hmm. Um, yeah, when he was younger, and I think I think he obviously stopped for the music. But I mean, if you if you've seen um, the Jethro Tull uh, logo, it's a picture of of Ian. Like and he's he's like standing on one leg doing like a tree like a yoga tree pose with the right. flute, and he has his headband on and everything. Maybe not as he wasn't as I guess um, you know I, I, I what, what's the I guess overly ostentatious with the costumes and everything. I think he right. was a little bit more, you know. I think he kind of held back a little bit for something like that. I, th- I didn't think that was, I guess, necessary for him. But if right. I could relate Jethro Tull to any other any other band, I would say Genesis for sure. And huh. if I could relate Ian Anderson to any other musician, I would compare him with Peter Gabriel. Like they both kind of have this earthy feel and sound to them. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and that was something yeah. I had on like my first impressions of this was I really liked it despite not loving Ian Anderson's voice. And it's not that I particularly disliked it. It's not. It just really? didn't it just didn't do anything for me. Um I don't know how to say other than that. It just didn't do anything for me. Um I love that he doubled his voice. It was really interesting um to to hear that. Um yeah. I will say though, at least on this record, I love how he chuckles throughout the lyrics. Yeah, you know what I'm saying he'll kind of laugh while he's singing uh, some of the lyrics. I, I think that's it's just genius. It, it gives a feeling of familiarity and snarkiness. Yeah, to it as well. And and with this record particularly being a satire and a kind of type of parody, I think that's perfect for it. You know, I yeah, yeah. it's him kind of saying this is hilarious. You know, like <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you can yeah. There's there's I, a, I yeah there's a sense of them having fun totally appreciate that yeah. um it's pretty great it's pretty um, cool but uh, yeah this is this is a very interesting record and there's yeah. some quotes i want to go through okay yeah i want to i want to hear i want to hear what he has to say give us money it's good for you drew what are you doing i'm trying a more direct marketing approach you know you, you just expect people to give us money for no reason no they'll get cool rewards for becoming a patron oh yeah, you didn't let me finish. Well, so what kind of rewards are we talking about here? Well, they can get the episodes a week early, get priority conversation with me and you in our VIP Discord community, and if they become a watcher of the skies, they can even get the video formats of our episodes. And those are just some of the perks. Oh, well, that sounds a lot better than give us money. All right, I was trying something different. Sue me. Nah, I think I'll just cue the episode back in. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll read first uh, someone who else who reviewed this album and talked about prog rock. Um... This is from a Rolling Stones magazine magazine um, review by Ben Gerson on Thick okay. Brick. Um, a continuous work permits the kind of introduction, modification, and reintroduction of themes, which is a hallmark of classical music. Which I, I just thought was interesting to put in there because we I, I always try to drill home some of the elements of prog rock because it is kind of an elusive concept it's something that's like well where does what what is it you know what i'm saying yes so yeah. anyways like we've, you, we've you been mentioning tell, classical you music it is you can tell that it is but you don't know what exactly yeah um so it's like anyways so i so i thought that, that was cool that that person wrote something of it being a lot of these things in this record being hallmarks of classical music so which we've 
you know said before is, we've said is, before yeah absolutely is, is an element of, of progressive rock for sure um when anderson was told by someone hey what do you think when people call this a concept album and and one of you know the most iconic and maybe one of the best and uh his response was well job done i'd say yep. <laughs> we set out to make the mother of all concept rap, uh wow mother of all concept records as i stated earlier and if that's the way people see the album after all these years then we achieved that ambition um it's hard sometimes to differentiate between what's serious and what's a send-up but for me that's the beauty of true prog rock it must have both this is interesting uh yeah. being serious but not too serious you know um and talking about prog rock in general um you know we had mentioned that he thought bands like you mentioned elp which we last reviewed he said yeah. they were kind of up their own arses yeah uh, i remember saying that ass um so <laughs> i i don't know I, I i can see where he's coming from i just want to interject my own kind of thoughts on that i i i, I guess i get what he's saying but at the same time when i hear elp music i see them having fun as well i mean listen to benny the bouncer yeah, that's they, a total farce yeah. that's a total joke of a song but like you can tell they were just having fun in the studio with that so yeah i think sometimes they get serious and ambitious but a lot of the bands that that we've reviewed also kind of have fun with their music crud even rush they do passes to bangkok which is all about smoking weed you know yeah. and they right, right before that they have a 20 long 20 minute long epic you know that's very serious so i think a lot of the prog rock bands that we've already reviewed that anderson kind of calls out as being too serious they have their own fun songs too i think so personally yeah. i i kind of disagree with him just because yeah. I see evidence of them not taking themselves too seriously either. But I do see where he's coming from. Yeah. And I can understand, I can get behind that mentality where I can understand people are like, this is too much. Yeah, I, um, I agree. And I also I also disagree with with Anderson on, on that as well. Uh, but, but, but then again, I, I have to, and this is, I guess, sort of my own, I guess you said musical uh, opinion about, about this record. Uh, because because there's a side of it that when I first initially listened to this, I was I had an initial thought, but then I had to do more research and found out okay, there's there's something that I'm missing here, and uh, you know I think and so as we said before, right, Drew, you said that Anderson wanted to kind of quote unquote out prog these bands, like he wanted to write the mother <laughs> of all concept albums, right? Right. Like and and the bands at the time that were really popular were. ELP, yes, and Genesis at the time, right? Yeah, they were the big ones. I honestly, I, and King Crimson, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, and King Crimson and stuff like that. Um, I, I just, I would not necessarily say that he achieved it. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's certainly prog rock, but something that I find to be genius about concept albums is the, you know, incredible journey that that the music takes you on, right? right. And through the highs and the lows, experimentation, musicality. To me, and this is just my humble opinion, the, the album starts off really strong, but as the record progresses, it sort of plateaus musically, in my opinion. Okay. Um, it, it just, it doesn't keep me interested. The first, like, maybe 10 to 15 minutes are absolutely brilliant on, on the first part. Like, I love the first five minutes of, 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 the, of the record. It sounds really fresh, exciting to me. It has a lot of movement, some really catchy lyrics and stuff like that, and... But this is also something that I, certain prog bands that I hear pretty often, the, the music, to me, plateaus in terms of energy. And also the structure 
re- doesn't really help in my opinion either. The album, you know, the album's written in two 20 minute pieces and the lyrics are kind of scattered throughout the record. And so I don't hear this structure of verse chorus in my head. What I hear are sections, right? But the sections don't grab my attention enough. I'm like, okay, this is definitely a section. This is definitely a section. Like I can't tell like this is different from this. This is different from this. So it kind of just flatlines. Am I making sense? Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? Sense. Like I, I like, can get behind. So, that. so yeah. like compare compare it to like something that I really enjoy, which is twenty one twelve. Right. I can easily tell this is a section. This is a section. This is a section. Right. Right. And and whether you're gonna write one long piece of music or not, you know, this is the equivalent of writing like an like a thirty minute pop track where the, it's it just seems the same like thing you're over saying... and over and over this is just one long jam session it really does seem that way okay it it, it doesn't it, yeah it kind of it feels to me that you know because something that like i said before you know something that's brilliant about the con about concept albums is the the journey it takes you on musically and lyrically conceptually whatever and you know you i'm expecting in, in a story kind of like a climax or what and it feels like there's like 13 different climaxes like it's really intense right you know, but it feels like it's all intense. Like it's all in your face. It's really, it's just, it's, it's all, it's all, um, complex, high energy. And I wish it just had more of dynamics, highs and dynamics and highs and lows yeah. and, and building more energy. And so, you know, when I got to that second part, I was like, Oh man, this is just starting to get boring to me. And it's not, it, and it's, you know, on a regular album, we would call that a filler track. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes. You know yes. what I'm talking about? Like you're listening to you're listening to a whole album. You got 10 songs in the album and 3 of them are good. The right. other 7, <laughs> are the other filler. 7 are filler tracks. Yeah. And I feel like since there are no since there are no tracks, it's all one piece. It just the whole thing just feels like this it kind of plateaus, you know, but then again. But but let me let me say this though because I need to also defend him in this. You know, I think that Ian Anderson certainly achieved his progressive rock album, but not the Mother of Call concept albums. But, but I also have to hand it to him, and I did the research on this because I, I was like, "There's, there's, there's got to be a reason why everybody loved it, right? Mm-hmm. There's got to be a reason why everybody loved it." Check this out: Jethro Tull, Ian Anderson, whatever they released, "Thick as a Brick" before "Dark Side of the Moon," "Lamb Lies Down on Broadway," right. "21 12. Tales of Topographic Oceans, Foxtrot, Brain Salad Surgery. There's plenty of other albums that that did not come out before this record. So what I'm obviously comparing this record to are albums that preceded Thick as a Brick. So there's definitely some respect from that regard. Thick as a Brick definitely helped shape the genre of prog rock for sure and definitely stepped out of what was normal. That's true. Uh, Something that's like really story intense. Honestly, before this... There weren't many, right? We had Days of Future Past, right? Which yes. we talked about, which was 1969. Yes. Um, wait, 67. My bad. My bad. That was 67, yeah, 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 yeah. right? 60, yeah, same year as yeah. Sgt. Pepper's. So my bad. Yeah, so that was 67. Yeah. Sgt. Pepper's kind of had a theme, but as we discussed earlier on the show, it's not really a concept album. Yep. But that kind of started it. And then at least stuff that we've reviewed we had, on We had in, in the show, Court of the Crimson then, King. Correct. Stuff that we reviewed on this show was in the Court of the Crimson King, which is 1969. So think about think about this. Think about how different this record is from all of those albums. Yeah, That's where correct. I can appreciate it. That's Absolutely. where I can appreciate it the most. Absolutely. You know, but but like Mother of All Concept albums, he said that 1970. Now hold on. Hold or 71 on. or whatever. Look up real quick. We're gonna do some spontaneous research here on the show. Okay. Uh, when did you say that it came out? This album. 
Uh, this so this record was released March tenth of nineteen seventy two. Okay, so March tenth of seventy two. Yes, close to the edge. I'm looking it up real quick. Was September was seventy of, of seventy two. Same year. So it was, at least it was the yeah. same year. Um, yep. When I think of this, is just my personal opinion. When I think of really great concept albums or long pieces that have dynamics, I think of yeah, twenty one twelve. But even more yes. than that, uh, Hemispheres by Rush. Absolutely. But also, even more than that, am in, instantly drawn to close to the edge. This is yes. something that we will cover on the show. We have to, or I'm going to be we upset will. because yeah, we will. it's like my second favorite album ever. Oh, it's um, amazing. We'll, we'll Close to the Edge do does a fantastic, a fantastic job of adding dynamics, making it seem different, but still taking you on a journey. It's it's phenomenal. Yes. Um, that's, I agree. that's what a long piece should sound like. It's 18 minutes. And yeah. by the way, so is um, Rush's uh, Hemispheres. Um, yeah. Roughly around that, 18, 19 minutes. So that's what a long piece should be in my opinion that's that's my opinion um but like you said dustin i have to agree with you on that i'm glad you mentioned that because you know mm -hmm. you forget you kind of lump prog rock all into these different albums you, you should do. think about yeah. the historical context and you yeah. did and you got to think about when did. it was released yeah you got to think about when it was released and i researched it you know i mean foxtrot i think was also 72 well, it was 72 but it was also later that year yeah it was also yeah. later that year. I looked that up. So, you know, and, and Foxtrot's got Supper's Ready, which is that, what, what, how long is that? Like 23 minutes? 23 minutes, something like that. You know, yeah, yeah 20, 23 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, and Tales of Topographic Oceans is also another one that was by Yes, that was uh, another record that had a, a lot of conceptual yeah. kind of, uh, and brain salad surgery, like we reviewed before, mm -hmm. yeah. that came Carnival out after Nine. this. Yep. Carnival 9, you know, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, which is a wonderful concept album by Genesis. That was uh, that was released after, obviously, Dark Side of the Moon, The mm -hmm. Wall, if we want to even take it further in that. So, like, yeah, th yeah. this was this was a, at the time... It was a very, very innovative. Very innovative, yeah. And, and so, but when I think about it, though, that's, that's what I got drawn to, is because I'm comparing, you know, I'm consciously comparing it to these other records that I hear that are, quote-unquote, good, in my well, opinion. What's really funny about this is that I wonder if Ian Anderson was poking fun at this. I wonder if he kind of intended for these other bands to say, okay, we are taking ourselves too seriously, but it had the opposite effect. They yeah. ramped it up to, you know what I'm saying? Right, like, yeah. I wonder if he was just kind of like, look, I, I'm writing this. I hope people see that it's a satire and that you shouldn't take yourselves too seriously. And then they proceed to do kind of the opposite of, of what he's saying prog rock should be should be right not take it they it become more ambitious right? right right after this record all those records you just described right dark yeah. moon blah 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 all of those are very ambitious very prog heavy and to him i would imagine would be taking itself too seriously which is the opposite of what he had in mind when making this record which is yeah kind of funny to me it's ironic um, I wonder if he would agree with that or not. Um, I don't know. We should I, have him on the show. Yeah, let's, we get, go. Let, let's get him on the show. Hold on, let me call him real quick. <laughs> I'm going to call him real quick. Um, Shoot. Uh, some other stuff, though, uh, real quick. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to say some of his philosophy on progressive rock, right? His, okay, his, I'd love to hear what he has to say about to it. it. Here's what he says. I thought this was interesting. Progressive rock is a purely British phenomenon. And these days, all of us, and I include the likes of ELP here, know that there was a sense of fun about it. Privately, we all saw the silly side. 
We were like John Cleese in a bowler hat lampooning the bureaucrats while reveling in it. So I found that interesting, and that's something I thought that we should discuss, that it's it's an English thing. Because I'm trying to think of bands that we've had on here that have not been British. Besides uh, Rush. Besides Rush. They're Canadian. Obviously, I think yeah. almost every other record we've done has been British. Yep. Am I wrong? Yeah, I don't know. You're not you're not wrong. I'm trying to think. What um, yeah. All all the other ones have every been British. Every single one of them have been British. Yep. So that's an interesting thing to think about. And it also brings into discussion, I feel like we should save this maybe for another episode uh, because it, it could be a long discussion. But I want to at least introduce the idea here of modern progressive rock. Yes. What What is it? Who does it? Does it still exist? Was that, it really yeah. just a late 60s, early 70s thing and it died out after, you know, the 70s. I mean, you know, some of those bands went on just like Rush, but this was clearly the golden age of progressive rock when yes. it was first coming out and when all of these albums that were phenomenal were, you know, they were associated with that genre, you know, these right. fantastic records. People were like, oh yeah, that Genesis record is awesome. It's, you know, it's progressive rock. Um, so again, that's, that's a conversation that could go on for a long time so we'll save it for another time but uh, something we can briefly touch on it though because I, I know that's that's something that uh is 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 an interesting topic that i that i like discussing i like talking about that well i'll i'll, I'll continue with another ian anderson quote just real quick here yeah, yeah um i still he says this i still like the original term that comes from 1969 that's when the the phrase was coined progressive rock but that was with a small p and a small r. Prog rock, with a capital P and a capital R, on the other hand, has different connotations of grandeur and pomposity, he argued. Um, back then, we were doing thick as a brick. Bands like e Yes and Emerson, Lake and Palmer were already gaining a reputation for being a little pompous and showing off with their music. I think that was okay. This is what he says. He says, I think that was okay. The reality is that certain members of Yes were quite humorous about it. They could laugh at themselves, as indeed Emerson, Lake, and Palmer privately laughed amongst themselves about themselves. So it's funny because on the one hand, he kind of contradicts himself. He says they're kind of up their own butts, but then he says, but they're laughing at themselves too. And I'm like, that's kind of two different things, isn't it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're kind of complete opposites. So I don't know what his final decision or perception of these bands at the time were yeah um that's interesting but, though i've never i've never heard uh i've never heard anything anybody mention the capital p capital r yes rock, rock. yeah that that kind yeah. of that kind of to me my my take on that is that you know prog rock was as little as you know as lowercase came off as more uh, as an adjective and prog rock with capital p and capital r became a noun almost like it became a genre rather than describing something like, you know, right. when you're describing, uh, you know, a, a, a pop song, you can say it's, you know, it's high energy, right. uh, blah, 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 blah. And I, I, I like, you know, I like that he introduces that idea of the capitals, making it a proper noun yeah. or something, yeah. you know what I'm it's saying? Proper, or it kind of gets proper this genre. Yeah. Or, or subgenre or whatever kind of taking itself. Call it. Yeah. Yeah. Too seriously. When in reality at the beginning, this wasn't, a genre, you know, it's 69 is when they coined the term, but at first how that came about was like, let's just experiment with some stuff. Let's just, you know, throw something to the wall and see if it sticks. Right. Right. Um, I, uh, I'll end with this. This is the last quote I have from him. He says, I personally think the world is a better place for having Emerson, Lake and Palmer and yes, because their music was quite elevated, great tunes and some innovative playing. But 
of course, it was to many people a bit excessive. I think some writers and some musicians found it pompous because they were displaying their technical skills as musicians sometimes in a way that made them seem like party show-offs. Um, and that's something to keep in mind too. You know, we've mentioned, I think, I could be wrong, but I think we've mentioned on the show before where you and I love prog rock, obviously. Yeah. But it's not all about virtuosity. That's something we no. love and admire about it. Yes. But it's not all about that because there are bands, and Destin, I know we've talked about this off the show. Yeah. There are bands where we're like, you know, I can admire that you have clearly dedicated yourself to this craft and this instrument, and you're willing to show that you can do something technically. That's that's neat. That doesn't necessarily make it good music. No, no, yeah. <laughs> no of course not. You know, yeah, absolutely so, right. I mean, it's, it, it's not, <laughs> yeah. And you're, 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 yeah, I 100% agree. It's not about how many notes you can fit within a bar. Right. Um, you know, it's cool and can be used as an effect to a certain extent in, in certain styles of music and in certain songs and bands and whatever, which is great. I mean, ELP did that. Um, you know, there are a lot of, uh, you know, I, I guess you could say Rush probably, you know, did that in, in certain moments where it's, you know, it's like, holy crap, he is absolutely shredding, um, right. which is cool. And it's cool to watch. And, um, but it's not all about that. And I right. think, I think when, you know, you walk into a group of musicians and, uh, they say, let's write something progressive rock. They immediately go to, okay, we need to write it. We need to make something complex and an odd time signature. Right. Exactly. So I you know guess, I, mean? I guess the, the question I have for not just you, but for uh -huh. anyone listening I think we can all agree that there are some points where you're listening to stuff and it's like, that's a gimmick. Like what they're doing right there, that's their thing. It's a gimmick yeah. though. The, the value personality. Is very, yeah, the value is very shallow, right? But a lot of what we've reviewed, I'm sure some people who are listening or some people who know about these albums might consider them gimmicks, whereas I don't. So I guess my question for anyone who's listening is, at what point does it become a gimmick for you? I mean, I mean, do you, or do you think it's a gimmick? Like what makes it excessive if you think some of the stuff that we've played? Because everything before this, we've heard and we're huge fan of. We're huge right. fans of. I mean, and yet, just like Dustin says at the beginning of every episode, we, we love it. We love progressive rock. Um, yep. We want it. We want to show you guys and everything. But um, if you don't like something or if you think rather that it's gimmicky. Too pompous. Or... Too pompous. What makes it too pompous? What's, you know, as opposed to, you know, another genre yeah. i think that's I mean, an interesting you're, you're getting you're getting like real subjective obviously yeah but, but i think it's interesting and i kind of want to have that question. discussion you know so if any, yeah. you know obviously he'll say at the end but i'll, I'll plug it in right here real well quick. hold on we here we got a caller on the line why don't we bring them on real quick okay yeah who's that <laughs> gosh <laughs> uh but um but prognotes podcast at gmail.com in case anyone wants to have that discussion you know um Sorry, I don't I want would to steal love, your I would thunder from the ending, uh, the ending paragraph. Oh, there, of Destin, course, but, no, no, of but, course. Uh, but I, th I think that's a, I think that's an episode, excellent episode. Wow, excellent <laughs> uh, question. But uh, you know, what, what, what do you? I got a question for you though, because you're, you're, you're a bass player, you're a vocalist, well, you're I try. bassist. You, you know, know I, holy crap, <laughs> you're a bassist in a in a progressive rock band. You label yourself as as a, a bassist and a vocalist in a progressive rock band. After listening to this album and listening to maybe some of the quotes that Ian Henderson has to say, as well as his mindset, mm -hmm. do you think do you think that your music can become more gimmicky, or do you think that it's been too pompous, or do you think that 
you agree and and display the same level of i guess you say uh consciousness that ian anderson uh you know just how he when when he describes progressive rock i i took a lesson from this i'll be honest when i was reading his philosophy on this because i'm i'm the lyricist too and for me everything is serious but then i think it doesn't have to be it really doesn't have to be, but yeah. I want to. I want to find a good balance between that. Between Absolutely. you know, I, I think I agree with Ian Anderson that that you, you got to be serious, but it's okay. I mean, and we've somewhat proven that we did. We threw in Brit or, or Break into our. That was the name of a song that we had where I was literally just talking yeah. in a fake British accent, which was god awful, by the way. Oh, but, it's hilarious. Though. But it's yeah, it's hilarious. It's fun. Like we meant to do that. It was funny. We had a reaction. Not that we're like huge or anything, but we had a reaction from an Italian fan. Uh, there was a French guy who loved us. Um, he was a really sweet guy. He gave it to his Italian friend and said, hey, this is a cool new young prog rock band. What do you think? And they said, it was, it was all right. I really don't care for that that break song, that thing where he's just talking. Like, it's, I, like it, I don't get it. Like, make art or don't. You know, it was that type of mm-hmm. reaction. And um, I don't know. I like that it's on the record because I like showcasing that we can have fun with it and that and in a way, it was kind of spoofing the big preceding like 26-minute track we did. It was, yeah. So I think we did exactly what Ian actually probably enjoyed. I wrote that because I wanted I, – I was overly ambitious. I wanted the group to do – I wanted to follow my you know music idols like Rush and Yes and Pink Floyd. I wanted to make a long song, a long track. I wanted to make an yeah. epic. And so – I did, and it was a very contrived piece, but I knew that going into it too. I didn't set out saying, okay, this is going to be, you know, a super original, the most novel concept ever or whatever. No, No, I knew it was was basically, it was basically like, I'm going to take 1984 and make it a happy ending instead and make the characters different, right? Right. That was basically what it was. Um, And, so in, in a sense, we got too ambitious, I think, because I was like, no, it's got to be X amount of of minutes, right? We have to pass 20 minutes. Yep. And I think that to a degree, it suffered in a bit, right? I love I, – yep. I, I think it's a good piece. I'm, I'm proud of what we did. But um, but there are some qualms I still have with it. I think that's part of it was I was like, it has to be this long. And so let's make this guitar solo a bit longer. And it's like, well, okay, if yeah. it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. And that's something I'm growing as a musician and realizing. Um, so in a way, I think some people it's could take- It's not all serious. Correct. I think some people could take this as, okay, this is 26 minutes, this is too long, and it seems like you're doing it just for that. Um, so so yeah. yeah, but I also had fun with it because a large part of the fun for me was just making up names. I'm not even kidding. Like I oh, just yeah. loved the idea of making up Metris Samir. What does that mean? Oh, it's Mr. Master, but all jumbled up. It's an anagram. Like that was fun to me. And I had fun making the um the different names of of the, the cities, like Tirupin and Palisage and all that stuff, and Lester Radley, the the luster leader and all that stuff. That yeah. was just fun to do. And I wasn't taking that too seriously. You right. know? So um I yeah. guess it, that that's it's, another it's thing. A, it's a mix of it's a mix of humor and and right. seriousness, but uh, you know it, it's more um, kind of the, the blend of the two, and and how you can how you can make it uh, more palatable, right? For some people, but also but also as well, it takes it takes a certain palate to be able to accept that that kind of humor. Yes, and I think another thing going into it, uh, or or thing to to just posit in this this episode is intentionality. Does that matter 
for the music. Does that change your perception of the music, knowing that Ian Anderson was joking when he made this record? Right. You know, because for for a lot of people, I guess it doesn't because they don't they don't know a lot of times the, the story behind this song. But I think that does matter. I think I've heard from friends, hey, you know, this song means so much more to me, knowing what the writer went through writing this, whether it was a joke or whether it was very sincere and very yeah. somber. Or they from, wrote it in the back of a truck. Or, yeah, like, exactly. You know, it's, it, the, the story behind it certainly certainly matters to a lot of people. Exactly. Uh, but for a lot of people, it doesn't. Like, I don't know, like, the story behind a lot of why Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, why some of those songs are the way they are. I just like them, you know? <laughs> right. I just yeah. do. So that's an interesting thing to think about, too, for our listeners. This is a, this is a good episode. This brings up a lot of good questions about the theory yeah. of, of music and progressive yeah. rock. So It's almost like it's almost like now, I mean, uh, uh, and if, if we decided to take Ian Anderson's kind of uh, – uh, I guess you say general idea of what progressive rock should be or, or what it, what it has been or where it, sh- where it should go or whatever. Um, you know, I, I think I discussed on our last episode um, my, my kind of progressive rock scale of having right. musicality on the left and technicality on the right and how bands fit in, in those. I think you could also create another scale of almost, almost uh, on the, on the far left having um a joke all the way to the far right of being pompous and or 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 even just not even not even pompous but more of just um i guess you say seriousness you know it's kind of like what's what the the intentionality of why we're writing this is it is it to is it to intentionally be progressive rock is it more you know we're we're joking around we're playing around with with what we call progressive rock or or whatever, whatever, however people, or however that's described, because obviously, you know, it's just like any other genre. It's like, do you think this is country? No, I think it's folk music. Okay, well, right. I think it's country. It's, right. you know, it, is this progressive rock music? No, I think it's more hard rock or it's glam right, or rock alternative or, rock or, or alternative yeah. rock or whatever you want to describe it as. And so, you know, how you describe those things is obviously subjective, but, you know, you could almost, I think he almost like created another scale and almost kind of set the line of this is where it should be right this is and and he had a obviously an opinion about it but yeah i've definitely learned something um just about the genre as a whole Mm -hmm. listening to this record as well as listening to what ian anderson has to say about progressive rock because i think after this record they went on and i their their later records they i think they were still considered a progressive rock band it wasn't like oh yeah we wrote this record aqua long people thought it was progressive rock so we're going to write a progressive rock album intentionally and then go back to this other stuff that we were doing which i i have never heard any other jethro toll records so i can't give a firm answer right. to that to say that oh yeah they just went right back to the blues or the folk stuff that they were doing right um, I, and I, I think yeah yeah I think they were still considered progressive rock is all I was, all I was going to say about that. Oh, absolutely. Well, when, you know, you look online, crud, they're in, you know, lists for like top 10 prog rock, you know, bands. Yeah. So yeah. And that's why we certainly wanted to put them on the show. That's why we yeah. definitely wanted to put them on the show. And is, sure. is because we were kind of going through all of these other, it's like, well, what do we do next? What's the next album <laughs> that we could do? And and it was, well, we, we haven't done anything by Jethro Tull and they've been considered, you know, if, if you go on to, you know, Spotify recommends or something like that. You'll you'll always see Jethro Tull in that list with Pink Floyd and Yes and Genesis and ELP and King Crimson and all them. You know, right. they're always yeah. there. And so uh there's certainly 
considered quote unquote progressive rock as as right. a band um but uh, in a different and interesting way and i uh, i like that and definitely can appreciate that about this record there's a lot so. of yeah and there's a lot of almost like folkiness to it at the beginning too uh and throughout oh, actually yeah. that reminds me honestly a little bit of selling england by the pound where we said that was oh, yeah. like an english yeah. folk yes very dude it, and that was the word that i came up with when i was thinking about how i describe both of those records as earthy yeah it sounds I see what you mean for sure yes yeah it sounds very uh well obviously ian anderson's scottish which i don't think we have any any uh any other members of any of these guys that we've reviewed as being scottish I, I think everybody else has been just mainly from the uk right but i may be wrong i'm not or sure england. but yeah uh yeah yeah or from england yeah of course but uh it was interesting it was interesting i haven't his uh being scottish i don't know i think of scotland and I, I i don't know my idea i've never been there but my idea of scotland is very green and uh very earth earthy and uh even even with yes and stuff like that they they a lot of his lyrics i mean you know like fragile um like as we as we spoke about before like the the album cover is is like a picture of this like green earth right and stuff like that so it was a yeah, there's a lot of similarities I think between those bands, but um, certainly stand out though enough to to um, to to be really interesting. But yeah, that's 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 my kind of my final notes on on the music of this record, of course, but also yeah. kind of the the whole general perspective right. of. Uh, of, of thick as a brick. So do you, do you have any final notes, anything, anything no, just like we, last words to say? We, we gave a lot of good ideas, I think, uh, with the theory of music and just next time we meet, I expect everyone to have a six page paper on their ideas of that. And you know, yeah, yes, yeah. you can double space it. I'm not asking for miracles here. Just oh start the conversation, gosh. you know, uh, cause you'll edit your drafts later. You know, this is not the final draft, but this is a good, we're going to pair you up. We're going to pair you up. Um, so you guys can, you know, uh, mark up each other's papers. Yeah. And uh, you'll be able to critique each other and find out uh, everybody else's perspective before you even start writing the final draft, uh, because <laughs> this is a democratic society. And uh, we want to make sure that the democracy stays where Democrats are supposed to be. And so what, what? in the world? What? I don't even what know. Even? I don't even know. I don't even I don't know. know. I can't. Anyway. Shoot. Okay. That's unreal. Well, hey, we're going to end this episode with the uh, – actually, I'm going to end it. We're going to end it with the very first five minutes of of the of Thick as a Brick, uh, which, in my opinion, is the best five minutes of this entire record or the first five minutes. That is my humble opinion, but you all will probably enjoy it as well. Uh, we would both like to thank you all very much for listening to our podcast. These are our prog notes for Thick as a Brick. If you enjoyed the episode, learn something new from the episode as we did for sure. So hopefully you all learned something as well. Please subscribe and share our episode with other people. We would be eternally grateful. We also appreciate all feedback and or comments, uh, especially we want to hear about uh, Drew's question uh, if we, if anybody had, if, if we would we'd love to hear your, your opinion on that. What it, what makes it uh, or not what makes it. How did you word it, Drew? Please. Uh, at what word point does it question. become a gimmick to you or to at what point? I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 So, Drew, what is the the next episode? What or what's yeah. the next episode's album yeah. we will be listening to? I'm really excited about. Yeah. This so Destin and I, I'll give a little bit of pretext to this as well. Destin and I talked about maybe wanting to do some records that aren't like quintessential prog rock. 
that aren't, yes. you know, oh, definitely everyone considers that a progressive rock album because right. uh, we have a lot of different music tastes. And while this is progressive or, or prog notes and we want to focus on that, I think it'd be cool and fun to do every couple of episodes, maybe every 10 episodes, which the next one is the 10th. Yay, double digits. Um, right. To do some stuff that is um, maybe has some progressive rock elements, but not classified as progressive rock. Yeah. Um, so the next one definitely has some elements for sure. It is the, uh, it's by the Alan Parsons Project, who, by the way, was the engineer for Dark Side of the Moon. Um, uh, his band, the Alan Parsons Project, did a record called Tales of Mystery and Imagination. And uh, we're both really excited about this. It's a really fun Very. record. I think it's going to be great. Will enjoy it for sure. It's a great record. And hopefully we will have our good friend Rachel joining us again for that rep, for that episode uh if you all didn't listen to the sergeant peppers episode she is a wonderful historical reference and so she has a lot of great insight and so i think we'll get a lot of really good uh information out of her for that next record so join us next time as we will uh discover the past present and future of progressive rock see you guys next time thank you so much <laughs>